How am I, how am I, is my inner self, am I doing okay? How am I with God? How's my God time been? All of this kind of stuff. And we just thought that at the end of this, this, this year, as we're going into this busy Christmas season and just coming out of this, this Thanksgiving season, that, that let's just revisit this. Let's just talk about this so that we make sure we go in as healthy as we possibly can to the end of the year and the beginning of the next year. And so we designed this, this series called How's Your Soul? And it actually is part of what we actually started the whole year with. We just felt like this year we were going to just really focus on, on this one verse, this, this Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. And this has been kind of our home, what we've lived in. And I'm going to read it one more time just so that we are prepared because I think there's so much here. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, it starts like this. Then Jesus said, this is Jesus speaking, so we have to pay attention, don't we? Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Just coming out of this Thanksgiving season, going into this Christmas season, the start of the year, man, there's some of us that need some rest, isn't there? He says, take my yoke upon you, let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find what? Rest for your souls. And that's something that we, if we're just honest about it, we have to get better about. And he goes on and says, for my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. And we read this and we put it in our context, but the context of the time when Jesus is saying this was, was a little bit different than what was here because religion was very heavy. He's coming into a time when there are 613 laws that you had to abide by. And there was always someone looking over your shoulder to see how you were doing, how you were measuring up. And Jesus is sitting here saying, you know what, if you follow me, it's going to be easier my yoke is going to be easier. And, and he's, he's just challenging us to, to look at this in a different way. But the religion that they were in at the time, man, it was just burdensome and it was overbearing. And, and if you weren't living according to the standard, there was always people willing to judge you, look down upon you, and cast you out. It was one of those times that was just difficult. And then there was this whole thing, when Jesus says yoke, see, it, it, it meant something to them because what would happen is there was all kinds of rabbis teaching at that time. And you would yoke yourself to a rabbi. One rabbi would take an interpretation of Scripture one way, and then you could become one of his followers. So you would yoke yourself to the way that he interpreted that Scripture. And this rabbi over here, he would interpret it maybe a different way. So you would, like that interpretation, so you'd yoke yourself with them. And there was all of this going on. And there were some arguments. There was some dissension going on. There was some disunity in the church. Does it sound familiar at all? I think sometimes we are there today, and Jesus throws a wrench into it all. He says, if you come to me, if you follow me, you're going to find rest. And if you yoke yourself to me, you're going to see a different way. And he's ushering in a brand new way to look at things. He's ushering in a brand new way to look at this whole following God thing. That his way was different than what it was now. And if you want some rest, if you want it to be easier, man, follow me. He was ushering this whole brand new covenant in, which was absolutely shocking to the people at that time. They weren't expecting what Jesus was coming with. They weren't expecting what he was going to do to the religious elite, to the Pharisees, to the whole system, if you will, of what they knew as religion, as following God, of trying to make themselves right with God. There's all kinds of things happening here. And he's saying, come to me. That Jesus was going to be at the center of this new movement. That it was all about him now. It was about nothing else what, what, what has happened. And he showed us who God was. He showed us how we were supposed to live. 
to the point that it actually got him killed. He came for the outcast. He came for the, the people who were on the outside, the people who didn't look like everybody else, the people who were shunned in society. And Jesus says, these are the people that we are here for. And he gave us example after example after example of how he lived. He meets this woman at the well who was too ashamed to come to the well when everybody else did. She came in the middle of the day so that no one else would see her. None of the other women, because she was probably gossiped about, she was talked about because of her lifestyle. She was an outcast. And Jesus breaks down all kinds of racial barriers. He breaks down all kinds of gender barriers. He breaks down all kinds of barriers, meeting with this woman, unheard of at the time. And then there was a woman who was caught in adultery, and the Pharisees are out there, and they want to kind of trap Jesus if they can. And she's caught in, a, in adultery, and, and they tell Jesus that according to the law, she is supposed to be stoned, and they all have stones in their hands. Now, what are you going to do, Jesus? And I, side note, I think it's kind of interesting that only the woman was there, because as far as I know, you know, that's another sermon in itself. But here's Jesus with all these religious elite, all these people who know the law and say, we've got to live by the law. And here's this woman who's broken the law. And Jesus bends down and writes something in the dirt. And he looks at the rest of the people and says, go ahead and throw the stone if you are without sin. And they start dropping their stones one at a time. And the only person who is without sin, Jesus, didn't even have a stone probably. how he lived. It's how he showed us to live. And then there's all kinds of other stories. There's a, 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 a paralyzed man who his friends want to get him to Jesus, and Jesus is teaching in a house, and they can't get him in, so they dig a hole in the roof, and they, they drop him down in, and there's, again, religious elite there. The Pharisees are there, and Jesus heals this man on a Sabbath. He's broken the law by healing someone. He also does it to the man uh, on a mat who Jesus says, get up and walk on a Sabbath, and it drives the Pharisees crazy. He, he heals a, a man's shriveled hands on the Sabbath, and it drives him crazy because he's broken the law. And as important as the Sabbath is, as we just talked about last week, it wasn't about the Sabbath because the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Yes, it's so important and crucial for us to take a Sabbath, to get rest for our souls, to take a breath, to step back, and, and get ourselves whole like we talked about last week. But we don't put the law before that. And Jesus was a master at this. He gave us all kinds of examples and parables of, of the, the Good Samaritan. And, and he would go around town touching lepers, people who no one would be, want to be around, but he would actually touch them. He showed us what it looked like to love people. And if there ever a choice that Jesus had to make between the law and a person, Jesus always chose the person and not the law. And you can check it. It's something that I've been studying for just the last several months. It's just been amazing. And Jesus just associated himself with those people. The religion has always been about, about rules first and people second. And Jesus said, no, that's not how we're going to do it anymore. It's going to be upside down. We're going to love people. We're going to start there. And this culture that they're in, these 613 laws, it was so burdensome. It was so overbearing to them. They just couldn't handle it. It was exhausting. Because religion is always about, can I do more to please God? What can I do? How do I get myself right with God? And I work, and I work, and I work. It's all about the rules. It's all about the laws. And Jesus said, this is not what we're going to do. There's this brand new radical way that he is ushering in. 
and the religious elite and the, and the Pharisees were always trying to catch Jesus, and they, they corner him one time, and they ask him, they say, Jesus, well, what is, you know, we see how you're living, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 22, verse 37. He says, Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. That this is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then verse 40. Man, we can never miss this. He's saying, you've got to love God and you've got to love people. And the Pharisees who are asking him this question, these law lovers, these, these, these keepers of the law, they're making sure everybody is, is, is keeping everything that, that they have to keep. He's, Jesus says this, the entire law, the entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Love God, love people. If you love God and you love people, you don't have to worry about all these laws. If you love God and love people, everything else is going to fall into place. If you love God and love people, you don't have to worry about jumping through all the hoops, doing all the right things. If you love God and love people, everything else is going to come naturally because it pours out of us. And this comment about loving with your soul, and I don't know if we even know how to do that. And it's just a, a challenge for us. We're so busy, and we're so rushed, and we're so doing this, and jumping through the hoops, and here and there. That's why we want to sit and say, hey, let's just talk about this for a little while. So the question is, how's your soul? How's your soul right now? And sometimes we even struggle with knowing what that means, and, and I've kind of defined it as this God-breathed inner self of ours that lives for eternity. It's the piece of us who is going to live for eternity after we die. And, and we said that we're, we're a soul with a body. We're not a body with a soul. The soul is our existence. It's who we are. And then sometimes Scripture actually refers to it as the heart. But sometimes the translation is that, that when, when we hear the word heart, um, it's either the center of the soul or it's the soul itself. And we're supposed to love God with all our soul and with all of our heart. And this is where it can get dicey if we're not careful. Because we live in this generation and in this culture of, of just follow your heart. Just follow your heart. And, and, and my generation, you know, as, as boomers, we grew up with, man, if it feels good, do it. You know, and we kind of started this whole mess that we're in right now. Follow your heart, but yet the Scripture tells us that our heart, above all things, is deceitful and wicked. So we've got to be very careful. We've got to learn how to, to decipher and, 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 and guard our heart and take care of our heart and nourish our heart and nourish our soul. We've got to be very careful with that. It's why we talk about the Sabbath. It's why we talk about getting alone. It's, it's so that we can guard our souls and guard our hearts and check it, and we can do some soul searching to see how we are actually doing. The soul is so important to who we are as followers of Jesus. One of my favorite pieces of scripture is Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 11. Here's what it says. It says, yet God has made everything beautiful for its own time. He has planted eternity in the human heart or the human soul. He's planted eternity in the human heart, but even so people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. He said eternity. Each and every one of us has this hole in our soul, in our heart, that can only be filled with God. And our culture and our society tells us that we can fill it in all kinds of different ways. 
and there's all kinds of things coming at us to say, here's how you can fill this with this void that you have, but if we fill it with anything else besides God, it's going to fall short, and we'll never find the peace and the comfort that God has in store for you. And the other thing we have to understand is there's a battle going on for our heart. There's a battle going on for our soul. It's called our sinful nature. Scripture calls it our sinful nature. Paul talks about this, how it's always at war with, with what the Holy Spirit, what God wants for us. And, and there's this battle going on continuously. We've got to understand that our souls are created to connect and worship God. Our souls are created to connect and worship God, to be filled by what only He can fill us. And, and we talked a little bit about this in, in, in week one when I said that, man, you have to figure out your why and you have to connect and have Jesus as the anchor of what we are doing, of what you are doing. And, and, and so often, especially in, in our culture, we, we look at worship and we think it's about what we just did and the singing and things, and that's obviously a part of it. But worship is so much more than that. It's so much bigger than that. It's how we experience God. It's how we understand him. It's how we relate to him. It's the places that we, we find him. And it, it's great to come in here and get goosebumps and, and get this emotion as we sing and things. And there's times of that. There's a place for that. But it's not like that everywhere. Where is it that you experience God where you connect with him at, the, at most? Where is it that maybe it's in your quiet time, maybe it's in a prayer time, maybe it's when you're reading scripture and studying and and, and, and you connect with and experience God in a unique way. Maybe it's just walking in nature where you see a sunset, you see these trees, you see a mountain, you think, man, this is just part of who God is, and you just connect with him at that point. And, we, and when we get to that point and we start experiencing, we start rearranging our priorities and different things become in, important to us. We change our schedules. We change our habits of how, how we spend time with people and how we spend our money and how we, we serve and and we just want to give back because we're so awe-inspired of who this God is, and we're starting to fill our souls, that God-given eternity, with who he is. But there's things that just get in the way. There's things that keep us from experiencing God the way that he has meant, he means for us to experience him. And so we have to talk about next steps of, of how we not only protect our soul, but how we connect with him. And, and the issue that we have is that we're naturally selfish human beings that it's more about us than what it is about anything else. And there's all these other things that keep in. Scripture actually says that we are seduced. We are seduced away. Listen to this in Deuteronomy chapter 4. It says in verse 16, it says, So do not corrupt yourselves by making an idol of any form, whether of a man or a woman, an animal on the ground, a bird in the sky, a small animal that scurries along the ground, or a fish in the deepest sea. And when you look up into the sky and see the sun, moon, and stars, all the forces of heaven, don't be seduced into worshiping them. And we read this, and we think this is ancient literature. This is ancient text. It was in the Old Testament. They were making golden calves and all those kind of things. And, and I'm not going to worship some stupid golden calf, some squirrel, you know. That's just not us. But we have our own idols in our modern day, don't we? An idol is anything that takes us out of first God, God's first place, his rightful place in our lives, him being the center of who we are, our existence. Anything that distracts us, anything that, that gets us going to a different direction that puts that first than him. 
gets in the way. Our idols get in the way for us having God supreme in our lives, being first in our lives. So another question we have to ask ourselves is what's your idol? What's our idols? And we all have them. <laughs> I've wrestled with this question over the last few weeks, and, and, and I know, and, and here's the thing. It is so hard to see our own idolatry. It is so hard to see the things that are keeping us from experiencing God. It's so hard for, for us to see our own things, our own um, things that take the place of God in our lives. But it is so, so easy to see someone else's idol. It is so easy to look at someone else and say, oh, this is the thing that's keeping you away from experiencing God the way he expects you to experience him. The things that you are doing, your schedule that you're keeping, the way you're spending your money, the way you're living life, it's, this is what's keeping you from. But man, when it comes to us, it's very difficult to see. And man, we rationalize. I am the world's best rationalizer. I can rationalize my way out of anything. I, I, I can talk myself into saying, you know, I deserve this. All kinds of things, man. I can rationalize my, my way out of, of the way that I am living. But it comes back to, to asking ourselves, what is center stage in our lives? What is it that we are pursuing? What is first place there? And maybe it's our career. Maybe it's material possessions, a lifestyle that we, we, want to, we want to pursue, and the bigger house, the better car, the better vacation, looking good to all the neighbors. Maybe it's just the opinions of others, worrying so much about what other people think of me that that gets in the way and starts taking the place. Maybe it's some kind of addiction. Maybe it's sex and alcohol, pornography, all these things that start taking the place, the priority of what God wants for us in our lives. Maybe it's just flat-out success. I just want to be successful. And here's one. How about our kids, our family? And that's a tough one. And maybe we're trying to fulfill our, our own needs in our own ways because if our kids are successful, then we feel successful. Or maybe, you know, we've got to have the best for them and we're going to put them in everything we possibly can so they can excel and have the opportunity to do all these things that I didn't have an opportunity to do. And we start living our lives through that, and they become our first priority instead of our first priority being God first in our lives and God first in their lives also. Our idols start creeping in and getting into our way. And if we open up our calendars and we open up our, I used to say checkbooks, but our online banking accounts and things, and if people looked at all those things and say, what is first in my life? Those are where it starts to show. And what if you ask your spouse, what would you say is the first priority in my life? What would they say? Or if you ask one of your friends or coworkers, what do you think the first priority in my life is? Well, here's the question that really wrecks me. What if we asked our children, my grandchildren, what's the first priority in my life? What would they say? And my guess is for many, many of us, God isn't the first thing. And these things become our idols and keep us away from experiencing God the way he has, he has meant to be experienced in our lives. So I just want to give us kind of our, 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 some next steps. And the next step is just our souls need consistency. And we just need this steady, regular pace in our lives. Nothing flashy, 
nothing fancy. Listen to what Paul says in Colossians chapter 2, starting in verse 6. He says, and now, just as you accepted Christ as your Lord, you must, and I love that terminology, you must continue to follow him. Some versions say you must continue to walk with him. This picture of just walking in a daily, consistent pace. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Let your lives be built on him. That's where it starts, and that's what we've been talking about, building our lives on the center of who Jesus is. He's the one that says, come to me, building it there. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you are taught, and you will overflow with thankfulness. It's just this, this consistent, controlled progress. There's nothing exciting about it. There's nothing wow about it. It's just plodding along, keeping going. I don't like to run, so I like this whole thing about walking. It's very comforting to me because I don't have to run. I just want to walk. Sorry, Michael. <laughs> it, it's just about just being consistent in what we are doing, and, and, and it talks about as we're walking, we're going to hit hit obstacles and we get setbacks, and, but we just continue moving. I love what Jordan talked about the second week about this 10-1-1. Can we just find 10 minutes a day to sit in solitude, one hour a week, one day a month? And that may seem overwhelming, but just somehow incorporating that kind of rhythm into our lives, creating that Sabbath that we talked about, just getting our soul refreshed and, and, and understanding where God is talking to us, and then looking at us and saying, where am I getting lazy? Where am I not doing the things that, that, that keeps my soul healthy, keeps my heart healthy, and am I making progress? And this is, again, where it gets really wild, and, and we want progress. We want things so fast. You know, many of, many of us are going to make New Year's resolutions of losing weight and getting in better shape, and Barb and I are actually looking at getting a gym membership that we'll waste our money on, but, but, it's, but, but we're going to try, you know? <laughs> And, and, and so what happens is, you, you know, you, you get the gym membership, you start going, and you're going, and you're going, and you start eating right, and three weeks later, you step on a scale, and you've lost a pound, and you say, well, what was that about? Why did I do all that? And we want these, these immediate results, and so we quit. And I think that happens in our spiritual life sometimes also. But when you measure, you've got to measure different things in our spiritual life, like, like, do I love better? Am I loving people better this week than I did last week? Am I loving people better this month than I did last month? If I look at the beginning of the year of where I started and where I am now, have I grown to the point that, but, that I'm loving people better? If I'm seeing people in a different way, am I, am I looking at people the way God looks at them, the way Jesus sees them? Do I have more grace for their mistakes? Do I have more mercy for the people who are on the outside of humanity? Am I doing better? Am I better now than what I was at the beginning of the year? And I've watched many of you, and we've made so many strides. We've done so many cool things, and, and you're taking next steps. Do we get it perfect all the time? Absolutely not. But we're taking small, incremental steps, and, 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 and we're making a difference as individuals and as a church, and it is so cool to watch what God is doing. we just got to continue to pursue and stay the course. Paul, again, in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, says, And I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Paul is certain there is no doubt whatsoever that God is continuing this work that he has started on the inside of us, from the inside, in our soul, in our heart. 
He continues to produce. He continues to challenge us. He continues to put people in our lives that not only challenge us but encourage us to move and continue to go ahead. And, and, and the thing I love about this is that God looks at the inside of us. We are so tempted and we are so programmed to look at the exterior and the outside and, and, and again, our works and all these kind of things. And, and we start judging people and we start looking at people and saying, well, if they're doing this, they can't be. And it's all about the outside things. It's all about, about how they're they're behaving, and God looks at the inside. And even for ourselves, we choose so many times just to think, think of how we're doing on the exterior. Have I screwed up again? I've made a mess of it again. And we want to fix ourselves, and God's saying, no, I am doing the work. And we try to fix ourselves, and this is especially true with our kids. We try this whole behavior modification thing, and, and, and I, I am so guilty of this. You know, you're going someplace, and you, you, you warn your kids, man, if you act up, I'm telling you. <laughs> you got to act this way. You got to be a certain way. You got to, when you come to bridge kids, this is how you got to perform. This is how you got to act. And, and we start looking at all the outside, and we want their behavior modification. And we're worried about all of that, but we're not worried about what's going on on the inside of them, what's going on inside of their heart. If you just act all this way, then you're going to be good. And we start back to where we started today with all these 613 laws that was unbearable for anybody to keep. We try to clean up all the outside when we really need to be looking at the inside. And what happens is we become legalistic and self-righteous. And we become judgmental because of how people are acting on the outside when we have no idea what's going on inside of their heart unless we have a relationship with them and we have conversations with them in love. Go back to that verse, and I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ returns. God began the work from the inside and the out, a heart change, a soul change, and when he starts doing that, it shows on the outside. And if we force a change, if we just force a behavior modification, it doesn't last. And I would argue and I believe, we've talked about deconstruction here of, of the people who have de- deconstructed their faith. If you don't know what that means, there's just some, some famous people, some artists, some, some musicians and pastors even who have walked away from the faith because they said, I've just deconstructed, I just don't believe it anymore. And I think they've, they've gone through all the motions and all the things on the outside, but there hasn't been this heart change. Because there's also a way to deconstruct and say, I don't know if I, 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 I get all this, but... I see God is moving me in another way, and we actually build up after deconstruction. If we're just worrying about the external and not the inside of us, what's happening inside of someone's heart, it's not going to last. And we have the danger of starting to look like a Pharisee. It's all about the show. It's all about everything on the outside. We all look good. We look like we're jumping through all the hoops. But on the inside, we're rotten, and Jesus hated that. Listen to what he says in Matthew chapter 23. What sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, you hypocrites. For you are so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are filthy, full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first wash the inside of the cup and the dish, and the outside will become clean too. Jesus is saying if you want change, it's got to come from the inside out, not from the outside in. It makes us look good 
all the stuff that we get to do on the outside, but if it doesn't come from a heart change, it's for nothing. Let God start working on the inside, deep inside, and the outside is going to follow, and it stays, and we start being transformed into what God wants us to be. He's going to finish the work he started in each one of you. You fumble around, you make mistakes, but he's not finished with you yet. You are not a mess. You are in a progress. And if we just learn to take care of our soul, if we learn to take care of the inside and, and, and concentrate on that, the rest of it's going to follow. I want to close today with a story of, of the Apostle Peter. And we love the Apostle Peter. He's one of those rebels. He's one of those on-fire guys and, and speaks way too, too quickly most of the time. But here is Peter, and Jesus just told Peter that, that he's going to go to the cross. He's I'm, I'm going to be killed. And, and Peter stands up, as Peter would, and says, Man, I, Jesus, I'm all in. Man, if something happens to you, I'm with you. If you die, I'm going to die. I am, I, am, I am full throttle. I'm in. I'm following you no matter what the cost. And Jesus says, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. And sure enough, Jesus is arrested. Peter denies Jesus three times and then goes into hiding because he thinks it's all over. Can you imagine the shame that Peter is feeling at this point? All the things that he said, all the things he thinks life is over. As a matter of fact, Peter goes back to doing the exact same thing before he met Jesus. He goes back to the business of fishing. Goes into hiding first and then goes back to fishing. And there's a time that he's out in the boat and he's fishing and they see somebody on shore, and as he looks, he notices that it's Jesus, the resurrected Christ. And he throws off his cloak, he jumps in the water because he wants to be the first one there, and he swims in, into shore, and the rest of the disciples come, and, and they're standing there, and they're going to have breakfast with Jesus, the resurrected Jesus on the shoreline. And Jesus looks at Peter, and he asks him three questions. And knowing the history of, of <laughs> of what Peter has been through, you would think that Jesus would ask him something about, Peter, are you going to be committed? Peter, are you going to come through this time? Peter, are you going to be brave? Are you going to stand up? Peter, are you going to be self-controlled now? But it's not what he asked Peter. He looks at Peter and says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, Jesus, I love you. Jesus looks at Peter the second time and says, Peter, do you love me? And he says, yes, Jesus, I love you. And he looks at Peter the third time and he asks him, Peter, do you love me? And he says, yes, I do. It's not about performance. It's about loving God and loving people. And the rest will take care of itself. How's your soul? Would you pray with me? Father God, you are so good and you are so amazing. Forgive us for the times that we try to earn our way, that we try to work our way to you. God, that's already been taken care of. You love us right now. You love us so much that you won't leave us. You keep challenging us. You keep moving us forward. 
You keep spurring us on to be everything that you have designed us to be. And Father, that's our hope and that's our heart and that's our prayer today, that you would continue just to nourish our souls, that we would check back on a regular basis to answer the question, how's our soul? So that we can take next steps, so that we can move closer to you, so that we can be the person that you designed us to be. That we can honor and glorify you with everything we are. Father, if there are idols in our, in our lives, no matter what they are, would you help us to destroy them and knock them down so that you can be first and foremost in everything that we do. And we will give you all the praise and all the glory for it. It's in the mighty, powerful name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Thanks, everybody, for being here. We'll see you next week as we start our Christmas series. Christmas has a name. <laughs>